Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. We've got the tub filled again. We're going to do baptisms again. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you're probably thinking, can't these guys plan a little better than this? Couldn't we have done them all either this week or last time? And, and I know it would seem that way, uh, but, you know, people's schedules being what they are, we're busy people living here in the 21st century. Uh, this is just how it worked out uh, to have them happening now and then have them happening later. Um, but I, I feel like this is so wonderful. One, because now that we have our hot tub, we can do baptisms anytime. So if you know someone who wants to be baptized or you want to be baptized, talk to me about it. We can get it on the calendar. And we've already established that once every two weeks is not too often. So it's, it's like we've practically got one of these things built in. Um, and, and that's great. And the other part that's great is uh, I feel like hitting a baptism on December 31st is just perfect timing. I think one of the things that comes to mind when we talk about baptism is this idea of a fresh start, something new, uh, laying down the old as we go into the water, coming up a new creation in Christ. And, uh, and what better day of the year to do that? Because December 31st is all about sending 2023 to, to, to bed and bring on 2024. Uh, here we go. It's going to be exciting. Who's planning to stay up till midnight tonight to to do that. Not a lot of you. Wow. You must all be parents or grandparents or something. Um, one of the things that, that I think of when I think of a fresh start, and maybe you do too, is this idea that I often have of if I just could have one more chance, then I could get it right. You won't ever feel that way. Just give me one more do-over on that and I will get it right this time. And, um, you know, this idea going into 2024. 2024, James Dieter is going to be so much better than 2023, James. And and all that James really needs is just one more chance, and, and he'll show you that he's not such a bad guy. But I want to challenge that line of reasoning a little bit today uh, because of the fact that when you get another opportunity with the understanding that all you needed was one more opportunity to get it right, then what happens when you get it wrong under those circumstances? If another chance to get it right was all that I needed, what happens when I squander that chance to get it right? I was a part of a missionary team in Southern Australia back in 2002. There was 18 of us that were uh, traveling around a few cities in Southern Australia. We did work in schools and presentations. We did like a youth conference in one, one city, um, poorly attended youth conference in one city. And anyhow, we are in the third city. We've been doing this outreach thing for almost three months at this point. We spent two months in Africa and then we did a month in Australia. And we have a team meeting one night and I don't remember what was said, but one of our team members got really, really upset. Uh, Part of his problem was he was a middle-aged man on a team with a bunch of people who were like 19, 20 years old. And I'm, I guarantee you, we drove him absolutely nuts. 
but he was staying at a different location along with myself and uh, two other, uh, one other guy, well, two other guys, and then uh, two gals. So there were six of us from the team who were staying at these other people's houses, and we had this mini bus that we used to get from location to location. And because he was Australian, uh, and he, he was the only one on the team that had his driver's license in Australia, he was the one who was driving us to and from. And so we left the meeting, and he's sitting in the bus, and you can tell he's upset. And someone does this, like, are you okay? And this is, this was like set him off and he completely lost his mind and he's shouting while he's driving. The bus is now like jumping curbs, running red lights. It was as scared as I've really ever been in my life thinking, oh my gosh, what do we do? We jump out of the bus? Do we, what do we do? We eventually made it to where we were going. We all, you know, went in the house and, and went to bed and, and one of us, I think, called up our team leader and was like, look, this guy, went nuts and sure enough he's on a on a train back to Perth the next day uh, to go get things sorted out with the the higher ups of the organization we were part of and for a few days he's gone and then we get word they're sending him back and the team is like oh no how do you send this guy back how do you give him another chance the the higher ups in the, we were a part of Youth with a Mission, and the higher-ups at the Youth with a Mission base had decided that this guy deserved another chance. And I remember we're sitting as a team, and we're praying before he's coming back. <laughs> like, what are we going to do? How, how can we give this guy another chance? And uh, my team leader feels like the Lord speaks to her so clearly and says to her, I'm a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances, and all of the wind that was gathered in our sails to revolt and not accept him back into the community was taken out by this idea that God is not just a God of second chances, he's a God of 60th chances. And that's because a fresh start for all of us isn't offered in the hopes that you're going to make good on it this time. God doesn't Wipe the slate clean. His mercies aren't new every morning because he's just really hoping that today is the day where you're finally going to have a good day. A fresh start is offered because Jesus has already made good on all of it. He's fulfilled humanity's purpose. And every time that we fall is an opportunity for us to trust in his completed work on the cross. You realize this if you read your Bible. Great, great opportunity starting a new year. Who wants to read the Bible this year? Start in Genesis, work through the end, start wherever you want and read everything. I don't know. Get it done. If you read your Bible, you find out really quickly. This story isn't a story about hope that humanity is going to get it right with just another chance. As you read through the story of Adam and Eve, on through the patriarchs, on to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you realize very quickly, this is not a story about, well, what these guys need is just one more chance. And maybe this time, they'll get it all right. As you read the story, you come away with the idea that what we really need is somebody who can live rightly before God on our behalf. What we really need is a Savior. What we really need is to be forgiven. And then the gospel is that we have a creator who knows our needs before we ever even ask. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates 
His own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Your fresh start each and every day, your fresh start going into the new year is because of Jesus' faithfulness. Your fresh start isn't offered in hopes of something that you're going to do. Well, I'll give you another chance. I hope you do this and this to earn, you know, to show, to make good on this chance. It's offered because of this rock-solid commitment that God has to not allow His people to perish in their sins. It isn't offered in hope that tomorrow you'll be faithful. It's offered because Jesus Christ is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. It's offered not because tomorrow you'll be faithful. It's offered because tomorrow He is going to be faithful. This message can be a little bit hard to receive in a setting like this because I think we're all looking for a takeaway. I mean, you got up this morning, you set your alarm, you bothered coming down here and you're like, I want to take away from church. I really hope that preacher man says something that I can take home and I can live differently this week. And it's hard to respond to something. I mean, how am I supposed to make good on a second chance if my second chance isn't all about me making anything? Rather, it's about what the Creator is, is making in me. How am I supposed to respond to that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've got three easy steps to a holy life. No, there's no easy steps. I do think the first thing that you have to do in this walk with the Lord is give up on getting there yourself. You know, our friends in, in the recovery community have spent really a couple generations in our culture now starting the path to sobriety with this first step. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. I know I've said it before. I know many of you know one, one thing I do is go up to a treatment center and, and spend time with people who are in inpatient uh, treatment for their addiction issues. And, and I get a question on the regular up there. What, why do you come up here? Why do you do this? And I tell them, because you guys are sinners and someone has to come here and tell you because you don't know that yet. No, I, I tell them, look, I'm a pastor. I hang out in church and with church people all the time. And one thing I've learned about people in recovery is the people who make it are brutally honest with themselves and with the people around them all the time. You don't break addiction by fooling yourself. Unfortunately, a Christian life in our culture is oftentimes all about self-deceit and deceiving the community around you into thinking that we're better than we really are, that we're making good on this chance that God gave us. So I tell them, sometimes hanging out up here is like a breath of fresh air. You don't go into treatment and ask someone how they're doing, and they're like, I'm fine, I'm great, I had a good week, how are you? They tell you how that everything's going wrong and all the great injustices they're suffering and how nothing's ever their fault. And anyways. Uh, no, but you're hanging out with people who are being real about where they're at. We admitted we were powerless over our addiction. We admitted our lives had become unmanageable. People in recovery have given up on, just give me one more chance and I'll make it. And they're just taking life one day at a time. 
A problem that I run into with many Christians and a problem I run into myself as a Christian is those moments when I think to myself, I've got this. I've got it. I've got it. One more chance, I'll prove to you I'm a good guy. For some reason, this is often, all too often, coupled as well with the suspicion that we are giving way too many chances to the people around us. If all I need is one more chance, then how dare you be someone who needs two or three chances to get it right, much less five or six. And this often leads to a lot of of self-deceit. It leads to a lot of hypocrisy. And it leads to a lot of judgmental attitudes towards others. And, and you know, hypocrisy and judgmental attitudes are things that uh, you really don't want to wear. They're like game changer things to, to be wearing around. You know, it's, hey, he's a great tax guy, but he's a total hypocrite. Like, it just wipes away all the good things you could say about somebody when there's an issue with hypocrisy. I spent five years doing youth ministry, and the, the, the number one reason that, that young people were walking away from the church in their perspective, keep in mind, they're young people, they don't know everything, but the reason they would, when I would level with a, a 17 or an 18 or a 19-year-old about why is it that you're walking away from church, it had to do with uh, church kids. It had to do with their families acted a certain way in church, and they behaved a very different way at home. And these kids were like, I can't, I can't do this. It doesn't seem real to me because my parents, you all see a version of my parents that looks like this, but when we go home, it's, it's hell. Some years ago, I, I read a book on Christian hospitality uh, called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And, and in that book, the author redefined a, a classic Christian catchphrase. Uh, the catchphrase, love the sinner, hate their sin. And, and this author, Rosario Butterfield, re- redefined it. She said, love the sinner and hate your own sin. And it triggered something in me when I heard it. It was like this moment of enlightenment in my walk with the Lord. I think partly because it really resonated with something that I'd I'd been taught. I'm tempted to say I learned it, but I'd I'd been taught this. I haven't quite learned it yet. But I'd been taught this, you know, 20 years ago or before that when I was doing the discipleship training school in YWAM. And so uh, here we are, a bunch of young people just sold out, wanting to serve the Lord, doing mission work. And, and the question comes up because we're living in community with each other and we're close enough to each other, we're around each other enough to see that we're all still sinning. The question comes up, like, why is it that we're still struggling with sin? Why are we struggling with, with selfishness and envy and pride and anger, you know, all the things? And, um, and the point was made that we struggle with sin because we love it. And the scripture that was brought up to, to highlight that for, for me was Proverbs chapter 8, 13, which says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance and, be, and evil behavior and perverse speech. This became really easy for me to metabolize because I can, I can right away admit that I don't hate pride, particularly my pride. My pride is something that I care very tenderly for. I nurse it to health when it's been damaged by somebody. I, 
I guard it carefully against people who would be seen as a threat to my pride, how I view myself, how I think of myself. I love it. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. My, my problem is that I don't hate sin, particularly my sin. I don't hate my sin. I certainly hate the sin of others. But when we talk about the subtle issues in my heart, or not so subtle issues, I don't really hate it. I love it. If I hated it, I would stop doing it. My hat's off. Uh, popular in the new year to start your new exercise routine, right? I'm going to hit Planet Fitness next week, and it is going to be packed. <laughs> and I won't go back. No, I will go back. I will go back, but lots of people won't. Um, my hat's off to people who do swimming for their fitness routine. Who does swimming? We take our hats off to you. We take our hats off. Swimming is brutal. I promise you, it is the least efficient way for a human being to get around, to swim. Maybe it's a step above sinking, I guess, but swimming is brutal. I promise you, you there's a 0% chance you will find me at the YMCA at 6 a.m. in the morning swimming laps to be fit. I will find my exercise any other way, any other way but that. It's pure torture. I hate swimming for exercise. If I hated sin the way that I hate swimming, I wouldn't wouldn't need to swim. I could just walk on water. That's how it would be. But I don't. I had an experience this fall. We we signed my daughter up for volleyball. Um, She's gotten to the age where she can try out for tournament volleyball teams. and, And we ended up taking her, or I ended up dropping her off. Well, I took her and stayed for a little while at a tryout for kids over at Monticello Middle School with one of the local clubs. And I, I had a really negative experience from the start. I, I'll admit my guard was up because I'm, I'm not a volleyball player. I've never coached volleyball. I play it recreationally, which means I play it wrong. Like I'm a picnic volleyball player, you know, this business. Um, no, I'm more of a purist than that. But... Um, but I'm, I'm walking into territory I'm not familiar with. I'm not someone who likes to appear incompetent or like I don't know what's going on. And so I, anytime I'm walking into an unfamiliar scenario, I'm scanning. I'm looking around for clues of what am I supposed to do, where am I supposed to go. And the way they were running things, I wasn't able to pick up on a lot of clues. And so I just kind of bumbled around for 30, 45 minutes feeling very mistreated. Um, the tryout didn't go great. Uh, well, I shouldn't say the trial didn't go away, but the way they ran the program didn't seem like something we wanted to be a part of, and so we ended up opting out of it. And I spent, like, the next two weeks telling anyone who would listen what a terrible volleyball club this is and how they don't know what they're doing at all and how you should never sign your kid up for this volleyball club. And then as my emotions finally began to settle down from the event, I, I started to hear this, this subtle, still, small voice saying, wow, James, that was really hard for you, wasn't it? I'm like, yeah, Lord, they're the worst, aren't they? Please, please tell them to depart from you. And he's like, why is it that you struggle so much when you're in a situation where you're not in control, where you don't really have any power, where you don't really know what you're doing, where you think you're going to be outed as incompetent, like, why is it that you struggle so much in those situations? It's like, well, Lord, because I really love my pride. <laughs> what else can I say? 
I really don't like to be in situations where I don't get to be in charge. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, it's no big deal. Christians wrestling with pride. I mean, no one's going to get kicked out of church for being prideful, right? We'll have a hundred other reasons to kick someone out. But prideful is not going to happen. It never would happen. And, um, and I'm feeling okay about it. But then the Spirit brings to my, brings to my mind, I'm a little bit aware that like my conversations with God don't happen so eloquently in so many words. Like when I'm relaying it to other people, it's like, it's like hints and feelings and things like that. I don't, like I'm not, there's no audible dialogue going on. If, if that's you with the Lord, good for you. That sounds wonderful, but it's a little more subtle for me. But, but the thought comes to my mind, man, why did you spend so much time talking trash, slandering that organization? I've been going around for two weeks and, and people love hearing that kind of talk, right? Like everyone wants to hear a good story about how somebody else was mistreated, right? Especially if that organization cut their kid from the volleyball team or something like that. So then it's like, well, what kind of a person needs to be in control all the time? What kind of a person needs to be important? What kind of a person needs to appear like they know what's going on all the time? What kind of a person, what kind of a person? slanders and gossips about other people or organizations behind their back. And all of this adds up to, this is not the kind of person I want to be. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I checked it this morning, actually. Slanderers make the list of people who don't inherit the kingdom. Ah, darn it. You know, usually when we look at that list, we pick out the one thing we're not doing and make a point of how other people are doing at it, like, let's reverse that exercise. Like, look at that list and be like, Lord, which one of these is speaking to me right now? And it all becomes very, very apparent, right? Like, what I need, I need one more chance. I just, just one more chance. I'll get it right. No. I walked into a situation, and I didn't love those sinners because I was far too busy loving my own sin. You know, it's like if I throw stones just fast enough, I'll keep people far enough away from me that I'll never get hit by a stone myself. It's so easy to be so distracted by what is going on in other people's lives. We forget that the whole reason that God is reconciling you to himself is because he wants to heal what's going on in here. I'm imagining what it might have been like if I was speaking to a sympathetic ear and you know a week after this event and they said to me, "Well, James, why is it that you always struggle in this way?" Like, I guarantee you if you'd have said that to me, I probably would have bit your head off and been like, "No, you're wrong. That's not it." And then I hopefully would have come to apologize to you later when the Lord got to speak to me. But the point is, there is no replacement for the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that doesn't mean that we don't speak truth to one another, and it doesn't mean that we don't try to help one another. But when we're coming from a place of humility and openness and brokenness ourselves, we're going to find those conversations being a lot more fruitful than just the church finding reasons to divide and no longer fellowship with one another. The kind of healing that God is inviting us into, the kind of deep work that he wants to do inside each 
one of us is something that takes far more than two or three easy steps. And these are things that are more deeply rooted in us than we can hope to ever fix in a year or two. This takes a lifetime. I talked about three easy steps earlier. In the recovery community, they have a 12-step program. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. When you get to step 12, guess what you do? You start over. You go in and you work the steps again. And you realize as you go back to step one, oh my gosh, I was powerless in ways I had no idea before. But now as I continue to work the steps and I continue to work in the community, I revisit these things, there's a deeper and deeper healing that's happening inside of me. There's an acknowledgement that the work is never done. There's a healthy acknowledgement that I never actually arrive myself. But with God's help, I can live a life in a community with others that will become defined, increasingly defined by sobriety rather than defiction, rather than addiction. Sorry. That thing that used to define my life will become something different, will become something new. That's the recovery community as Christians. We believe that by God's grace, we can live in a community with others and live a life that over time becomes defined by holiness rather than sinfulness. One of the newer definitions of holiness that I've come across, I shouldn't say newer, but newer to me. It's a very old definition of holiness. But the principle being that holiness is a word that describes something or someone's proximity to God. Oftentimes we think of holiness as being something that is uh, sin- sinless, right? Or pure. And, and the reality is when Scripture talks about holiness, one, God is holy because he is, because he's God because he's unlike anything else. But then you notice that the things that become holy things are the things that are near to God. The holy ground under the burning bush was holy ground because it was under the burning bush. It wasn't holy ground for any reason other than God's presence was there. And the problem with thinking of holiness as purity is as I'm trying to become holy, my focus is on not doing things that make me impure. When we think of holiness as proximity rather than purity, now when I'm trying to become holy, I'm just trying to get close to the God whose presence transforms my life from the inside out. I really think that's the ticket. I really think that's the way to move forward. Paul writes to the Corinthian church about uh, the perspective that the gospel gives him on people and what God is doing. And he writes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, I think, 5 verse 16, he says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Paul's had experiences with God that have changed the way that he looks at the people around him. And he looks at the people around him and he says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. He talks about this as if it's a done deal, right? 
the, the, the old has passed away. The old is gone. You know, Jesus' followers were invited to, uh, to take up their cross and surrender their life in following him. And in, in many ways, I think our, our challenge is to embrace these things that God says are already true about us. Maybe maybe a better way to say it than embrace is to say to surrender to these things that God says are already true about us. My failures and my successes don't define my life in Christ. The old is gone. It has no power over reality than anything else that's dead and gone. But it's Christ's faithfulness that now defines my life with Him. I might have a day when I stumble... Christ's faithfulness is going to define that day. I might have a day when I feel like I, you know, I don't know, healed the sick, raised the dead, did something great for the kingdom. Christ's faithfulness defines that day. I might have a day when I'm slandering innocent organizations behind their back. But it's God's Spirit that is faithful to guide my feet back to the path. My job is to walk in step with God's Spirit. My job is to encourage others to walk in step with God's Spirit. In some ways, I should probably fear my good days more than my bad. Because pride rarely creeps in after a good day. But if I string together a few good days, suddenly James becomes his own savior. And and others as well. There's something about being humble enough to listen and learn that is incalculably valuable in our Christian faith. Paul continues, he says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was not reconciled, sorry, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. And so we are therefore... Christ's ambassadors, as if God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. As Paul looks at the world and tries to figure out what is going on, what's the point of all this? He says to the Corinthians, what is God doing? He is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. I think as we mark the end of of one season, and as we move into the beginning of a new season, a new year, my prayer is that we would be reminded of this truth each and every day. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let them take up their cross and follow me. But Luke's account of that, it's mentioned in other Gospels too, Luke's account of that actually adds in a word that I skipped over there. He says, let them take up their cross daily and follow me. I think the point Luke's trying to make by highlighting the daily part of that, Luke's trying to make the point, make sure that, one, you know he's not talking about literal crosses. This isn't a cult of suicide here. Like, He's talking about something deeper and grander and greater than the physical one-time things that happen in this life. He's talking about Jesus leading his people into a lifestyle of surrender. 
Jesus is inviting us. And, and it's in inviting us in an ongoing way that each and every day is a new opportunity to participate in it. In an ongoing way, Jesus is inviting us into a relational exercise where we walk in step with God's Spirit and we seize every opportunity we can to surrender to this new creation that He's making. To live a life defined by God's goodness and His grace that is filling the universe. Scriptures talk about Christ, God filling the universe with Himself. That this idea that... that um, yeah, we see it in the creation account too. God makes a garden. He orders it with His goodness. He puts humanity there. And then His command to humanity is to f- multiply and fill the earth with this thing that He's doing here. And so there's acknowledgement that there's chaos and there's death and there's darkness all around us all the time. But the life that we live is meant to be joined to Christ's life. That we could see the world filled with His glory and His grace. One of the rituals that we practice in the Christian church that leans into this truth is it's as old as the church itself. It's the ritual of baptism. We baptize one another with water and that water symbolizes the old passing away in the waters of death and the new being brought out of it into new life in Christ. As a believer surrenders and lays down into the water, this symbolizes how they're being joined to Christ who surrendered and laid down his life on the cross. And then as the believers lifted out of the water, this symbolizes how they're being raised up to a new life in Jesus Christ. A new relationship with God. It's very, very human to go through our lives justifying everything that we do to those around us. But when the divine life of God, when His Spirit is living inside of us, I really believe that things as simple as your daughter's volleyball tryouts become opportunities for you to take up your cross and die, to be transformed. I'm so grateful for these kinds of opportunities. I can't wait to see what God's going to heal in me in 2024. And while baptism in water is a once-in-a-lifetime ritual, something that most of us will do once-in-a-lifetime, I know some... Like any once-in-a-lifetime event, sometimes you're lucky and you get to do it more than once, but it's a once-in-a-lifetime ritual. It, it is also meant, this idea of laying ourselves down, sacrificing ourselves, dying to ourselves, being joined to Christ in His death so we can be joined to Him in His life. This is meant to be a daily thing for each and every one of us. Since it's meant to be a daily thing, what better day to do it than December 31st? Let's end this year right And we'll start the next one right as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your grace demonstrated in each of our lives. Holy Spirit, would you be speaking to us this week? I just know each of us probably walked through the last week uh, doing things that brought harm, saying things that hurt people, behaving in ways that added to the chaos and the death and the darkness all around us. Spirit, would you bring those to our mind? I'm tired of justifying myself. I don't want to live in self-righteousness. I want to live in the fear of the Lord. I'm tired of loving 
my pride. I'm tired of loving sin. God, we need to be transformed. We just pray that you would guide us. And as we take time to baptize uh, some of our, our beloved friends and family members today, God, would your spirit just guide us through this time as well. In Jesus' name, amen.